Well, good morning, City Church. It's good to see you here this morning, and um, so thankful that you've taken the time to be here with us. We are in the middle of a sermon series entitled Back to the Basics, Back to the Basics, which I'm very excited about. Not in that when we think about going back to the basics that it's sort of kind of redundant or boring, very different than that. Our prayer has been throughout this entire sermon series that as we kind of go back to the basics that the foundation of our faith would be deepened and strengthened and challenged. And so this sermon series has been, quite frankly, a lot of fun, but personally challenging as I've been studying and preparing and preaching or preparing to preach for this sermon series. The title of the message this morning is this, Back to Basics, Unlovable. Unmet Expectations, Masks, and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Unmet Expectations, Masks, and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been around city for any length of time, you know that our church is a relationally driven church. And that is very simply taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, and I've been preaching on that last week and the prior week, where Jesus replies to the question, what is the greatest of all the commandments? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. And if you were here last week, you know that greatest means weightiest the weight of the law, and Jesus says that loving God is as weighty as the next one. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're as weighty as each other. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So ultimately, the reality of it is Jesus steps into the world as he ushers in a new kingdom, and he announces that the essence of life is loving God and loving people. It's the essence of life. But Jesus pulls from the Older Testament, and again, we looked at this last week, he pulls from the Older Testament a command of God that we are to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I kind of reframed that a little bit and said the following, love your neighborhood as your own home. Love your dorm as your own dorm room. Love your apartment complex as your own apartment. In other words, we look around us and we look at our neighborhood and we determine that we're going to bring the love of God and the gospel of Christ to the people that live near us. I have a question when we start talking about loving people. What is Friday? What is it? Valentine's Day. How many of you men sitting here totally forgot that? You're welcome. But the reality of it is, is that this coming Friday is Valentine's Day, and I'm excited because it's the one day of the year that I tell my wife I love her. (laughs) And there's romance, and we'll go out to dinner, or if the checkbook is low, we'll go out to breakfast whatever the case is. And it's that day where love and romance and relationship are in the air. Now for those of you who are here who are married or maybe you're stepping towards marriage, I want to encourage you, even challenge you to be part of Pastor Gabe's course 
that he's been running on Sunday mornings at 9.30 in the theater room prior to worship entitled Better Love. Better Love. That'll be happening for three more weeks, so if you missed this morning, which was the first week, I really want to encourage you to sign up for that course and be a part of it. You can sign up for the course on the City Church app, or following the service this morning, Pastor Gabe will be at the Info Center, and you can speak with him. What I have found oftentimes is that wives are much more open to going to a course like this than men are. So wives, look at your husband and tell him after the service, you're going to visit with Pastor Gabe and sign up for the Better Love course. Here's what I do know, though. I know that we offer courses like this, but for many of us, our love and our relationships are more informed by movies television, fantasy, and the culture around us. That's really what informs the love and the relationship that we have for others. And in kind of in response to that and in deep prayer and prepping for this sermon, that's where I came up with the sermon title for this morning, Back to the Basics, Unlovable, Unmet Expectations, Masks, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, while I was in prayer, I felt so drawn to that concept, so I'm going to preach on it this morning. Reality of it is, Jesus says something that is challenging. Love God, love people. But he defines it the following way by taking that Older Testament law and importing it into the Newer Testament as he says these are the two greatest laws. They are as weighty as each other. And that is love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And therein lies the problem. Here's why. Many of us feel like we're unlovable. We do. And as you're sitting here, you might be thinking, I don't, but I can promise you, there are hundreds of people sitting here that if you press them, they would tell you they feel unlovable. How does that happen? Well, it happens at times, and there's many ways, but the, the way in which I felt drawn to talk about is the area of unmet expectations. You see, here's how it works. It works the following way. If I'm in relationship, and if my expectations are not met, I begin to feel unloved. And if I begin to feel unloved, I become convinced that you don't love me. And the end of that train is devastating. It's this, that I, in turn, am unlovable. So it goes from, at times, not always, but at times it will go from expectations that I have. And when my expectations are, go unmet, I feel unloved. Therefore, you don't love me. Therefore, in the end, I am unlovable. And I know for some of us, this is as foreign to us as anything could possibly be. But for others, you know this is true. This is the world in which you live. Your mind and heart are filled with the feelings of being unlovable. Man, when I think about my marriage to Fran, and I think about expectations 
and assumptions. I think about what I expected and I assumed when we got married. It was the following, that Fran would love to cook, she would love to clean dishes, she would love to clean the house, and she would love to do laundry. Do you know where that expectation and assumption came from? My parents' marriage, my mom. My mom loved to cook, loved to clean, loved to do dishes, loved to do laundry, although I found out later in life she was pretending to love, (laughs) to do laundry, and to cook, and to clean, and to keep house. But she faked it so well that I assumed that she loved those things. So when I got married to Fran, I had these expectations. They were based on assumptions that Fran would love to cook, clean, do laundry, keep the house immaculate. But here's what I discovered. I did not marry my mother. I married Fran. And although she does those things, she doesn't love doing them. So at times, yes, we do them together. But you see, that's just a simple example of an assumption and an expectation. My worry is more of this, though, that we live in a world where when we move towards relationship specifically move towards marriage, that television, movies, and fantasy, and our culture builds in us these basic expectations, these assumptions that we move forward with. But again, Jesus shows up, and he says this, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. But when you've got these assumptions and beliefs that build into expectations, and they go unmet, you feel like you're unloved because the other is not loving you to meet those needs, and in the end, you feel unlovable. The reality of it is, though, is that the Scripture says God loves you. The Scripture challenges you and I in the church to love each other. Now, there is a difference, though, and I want to qualify this very quickly. There is a difference between questions about faith and questions about Jesus and questions about God. Those are very different than some of the assumptions and expectations about our relationships with people and our relationships with God that I'm going to deal with in just a moment. I want to encourage you to do something. If you have intellectual questions about God, I want you to be here at City Church the first Sunday of March. I want you to be here. We're going to have a special guest speaker. His name is Abdu Murray. Abdu's an attorney. He was a Muslim. He became a Christian, really just through laying the text next to each other and studying them. He works for Ravi Zacharias. He's one of these internationally renowned speakers, and I want to encourage you to be here the first Sunday of March and bring others that have questions about faith. That Sunday evening over at City Church Central, we're going to have a skeptics night where people will be able to come and freely ask Abdu questions, kind of the intellectual questions of faith. Those are important, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are assumptions and expectations about our relationships with others, but also our relationships with God. 
Now, here's what I want to say about this. I am deeply concerned about the type of gospel that is often shared in our culture. Not all, but some television preachers and others that are broadcast freely bring a gospel where the purpose for your life in Christ is to be so blessed that you don't know what to do with yourself. I want to challenge that notion. It's not found in the gospel. It isn't. God's intent is that through Christ, you and I would become more like Jesus. That's God's intent. God's intent is that the kingdom of God would uh, inhabit earth, and part of how that happens is when we freely surrender our lives and totally surrender our lives to Jesus, the kingdom of God truly does come, and the will of heaven truly happens here on earth as it is in heaven. But I want to caution you. There are assumptions and expectations that are being preached that are not found from the lips of Jesus. We need to be careful. Now, why I am saying this is because some of us have heard a different gospel. We've accepted Jesus. Now we're following him, and we've got these unmet expectations. And now we feel like God doesn't love us because we're not living the blessed life. We don't have a million dollars in our retirement fund. It doesn't feel like everything is going the way someone told us that it would if we accepted Jesus. What I love about Jesus is that he's honest about the kingdom. What I love about Jesus is he deals with the future unmet expectations of the kingdom of God, and he lays it out very clearly at the first open-air teaching that he ever brings. It's the biggest open-air teaching he ever brings, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so what I want us to do as we talk about loving our neighbor as ourself, I think it's important that we look honestly at what Jesus has to say about the love of God for us. And what does it truly look like when we step into the kingdom and we follow Jesus and we serve others? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes are brought to us. And in those Beatitudes, Jesus acknowledges the unmet expectations that people are going to have. So I want us to read what Jesus brings us in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. I want you to listen carefully to what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus, right out of the gate, in the largest public teaching he ever brings, deals with unmet expectations. I think somehow Jesus could look into the future and he would hear the false gospel that was even preached right after his death and is even being preached today. And it's this gospel that if you accept Jesus, you will live the blessed life. That life will be smooth and easy and you'll become wealthy and handsome and beautiful and all the other things. 
But I want you to look what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Hmm. Blessed are those who mourn. Hmm. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted. When we look at our relationship with God, I think some of us really feel unlovable in front of God because we've heard so many false teachings about what the gospel brings to us and because we don't feel this river of something every single day, we think to ourselves, I've got these expectations, they're based on assumptions, and my needs are not being met, I'm feeling unloved by God, therefore I'm unlovable. But Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Have you ever felt poor in spirit? I have. There's times even walking with Jesus where I have felt in the depths of my soul a spiritual poverty. Jesus says when you get to that point, you're blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Really, that doesn't sound like the prosperity gospel to me. That sounds like life. And Jesus says when you've loved enough to where someone's been taken out of your life that you actually grieve and your heart is broken, you're living the blessed life. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Really? I'd been told that when I follow Jesus, I will become the dominant person in the room, that he will bless me and I will skyrocket to the top of the organization and everyone will work for me. Jesus says, oh no, the meek will actually inherit the earth. They won't conquer it. They're going to inherit it. And then he says, blessed are the merciful. Really? So there's going to be an imbalance of power in life where at times I will be kind of the powerful person in the room. And in that moment, God will call me to show mercy instead of to stomp on and abolish my enemies. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Really? That means that as the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, there will be dysfunction and brokenness and wars and disagreements. And because of that, the followers of Jesus are going to be called into the middle of that to bring peace and to be called peacemakers. And the last one really worries me. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Really, so some people are going to despise me because I follow Jesus. Yes, they will. But Jesus ends that phrase the following way. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is he trying to teach me? He's trying to teach me what C.S. Lewis said the very best. And it's this. Most of us in our Christian life live as though the world around us is eternal and we are temporal. The biblical way to live is to understand clearly through faith that you and I are eternal and the world around us is temporal. So important. Why is that important? 
is because this side of heaven, there are times where we will not get what we think we deserve. We will exit this life with unmet expectations. We are going to have assumptions that we're going to learn through our faith journey are false. But there's nothing healthier than getting a hold of the gospel that Jesus really preached and bringing it to the center of our souls. Here's what I do know, is that every accurate expectation is going to be fulfilled one day in Christ Jesus, but not all of them will be fulfilled this side of heaven. It won't be. And understanding that as we follow Jesus is so important. When I think about unlovable, when I think about some people who walk with Jesus and they've got unmet expectations there that are based on false assumptions that the gospel never promises us, and yet they live under the weight of that, I want to encourage you to look at the verses we just read from the Sermon on the Mount and really allow them to go deeply into your soul. As I was thinking, though, as well, about unlovable, I came to that next phrase, masks. Unmet expectations make us feel unlovable, but there's also the idea of masks. And that came to me as I was reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And I was reading again about the passages of Scripture where Jesus was confronting certain things that were being said or taught in the religious fear of his day. And in the midst of that, Jesus begins to use this word 13 times in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the word hypocrite. Now, when we read the following text, I want you to kind of look for that word. The text we're going to read is Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7. The title in your Bible for this paragraph is A Warning Against Hypocrisy. And so as we think again about unlovable masks, let's read the text. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now listen to carefully to what he says next. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. What? Jesus says to his disciples, do what the Pharisees are telling you to do. It's the right stuff. It truly is. In other words, they've studied the text. They understand the scriptures. And Jesus is encouraging them to be very careful. Even his disciples, do what they tell you. They understand the scriptures, but the next phrase is stunning. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Dropping down to verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love to be in the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about these religious leaders that have studied the text. They're called Pharisees. What they teach is actually accurate. But how they live is wrong. 
and how they're living is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now, I do notice in the text where it says, don't do what they do for they don't practice what they preach. That's what we think hypocrite means, but it really didn't mean that in Jesus' day. The word hypocrite in Jesus' day just simply means an actor. Someone who plays a different part other than what they are. Now again, he goes on to say, don't do what they do for they don't practice what they preach. We think that's what hypocrite means. And if I'd have polled you and said, what does hypocrite mean? That's what you would have said. But again, in the original Greek, in Jesus' day, hypocrite just meant an actor. It's a person that could play multiple parts in one play. They would simply hold a mask over their face. And they would play a role in a play. They would exit stage right. They would put another mask in front of their face. They would step out, play another role, and then exit stage right again. What Jesus was confronting them about was this. That all that they're doing is to be seen by people. And he says what the people see about them are actually masks. They're actors. They're not really being true to themselves. And it struck me again, as we talk about unlovable, some of us, because we feel unlovable, have put on masks. We wear masks. We perform. We spend our lives trying to be something other than what we are. Because we believe that if someone really knew us, they would never love us. And we believe we're unlovable. So we wear masks and we act out a role that truly is not ourselves. What's even more stunning is some of us do this with God. We believe that God really doesn't love us. How could he? So we do like Adam and Eve did, and somehow we try to cover ourselves up, and somehow we try to wear a mask so that maybe just by chance, God doesn't really know who we are. Some of us put on a mask for God because we have unmet expectations from God. And so now we wear a mask even in front of him. But here's what I believe. I believe that if we would lay our mask down and come to God truly as we are, his love can truly free us through Christ, even from ourselves. How do I know that? Because you're looking at a person who's experienced it. I grew up in a church where we had to behave a certain way, act a certain way. There were unwritten rules about what a Christian should look like and do. I'm not coming against holiness. I believe in holiness as much as anyone in this room. But there was a mask that we were compelled to put on in order to be part of that congregation that I was involved with for many years. I want to encourage you. God wants to love you, but he wants to love you without your mask on. He truly wants to love you. And what's stunning to me about what Matthew writes, 
What's so stunning to me about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' confrontation of the mask wearing of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, them being hypocrites and wearing masks, that you find this 13 times in the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew is driving home the fact that if we wear a mask, it will prohibit God from getting to us. But as I look at the text, I ask myself, why is Matthew so confident? Because as I look at his gospel, he is so confident of the love of God. He is so confident that Jesus stepped into the world for people. He's so confident that Jesus is the revealed reality of who God is. Where does that come from? Then God brought back to mind that powerful text that we find in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. It's called the calling of Matthew. So in in Matthew's own gospel, he embeds in the gospel his own calling from Jesus. And here's what the text tells us. Matthew 9, 9 through 13 As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named, what's his name? It's Matthew. He sees a guy named Matthew sitting in the synagogue and worshiping his head off. No. Jesus, just moving along, finds a man named Matthew sitting where? At the tax collector's booth. Tax collectors were the Benedict Arnolds of Israel and the Jewish faith. They were people who had sold themselves out to the Roman Empire, and they were collecting taxes from Jews and handing it over to the Romans. And what we know is, is that most tax collectors became that by bidding for that position. So not only would they work for the Romans, they had paid money, i.e. a bribe, in order to be a tax collector for Rome. And here Jesus is, walking along the road, and he sees Matthew sitting at the booth, collecting taxes, the ultimate betrayal of God, Israel, and the people of God, the Israelites. And while he's sitting behind the booth, Jesus stops and says to him, follow me. And he tells him that, and it says Matthew got up and followed him. Stunning, absolutely stunning. Jesus is walking along, sees that tax collector, and he looks right at him and says, come and follow me. And then scripture tells us even something more stunning. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner where? At Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, when the mask wearers saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus looks at those who are wearing masks, and he says, I come for people who know they're sick, 
I come for people that know that they're sinners. That's why I have arrived. But what you cannot get from simply looking at the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus says in verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you were to look up that text, you would find it comes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. The book of Hosea is all about a prophet by the name of Hosea whose wife's name is Gomer, and she's a serial adulterer. Every time Hosea wants to leave her, God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to go bring her back and bring her home and love her as your wife. Hosea, your relationship with Gomer will be a living example of my relationship with Israel. Israel keeps going and being with other gods but I keep pursuing Israel over and over and bringing her back in love and in mercy and in grace to myself. So Hosea, I want you to live that out as a symbol to everyone around you that your unfaithful wife, your adulterous wife is to be loved with all of your heart and that you keep bringing her back into your home and loving her as a symbol of my love for people. Can you even imagine? I've read the prophet Hosea's book multiple times. Being blunt, in my flesh, I pray it isn't true, but it is. He was a living example of the love of God. And here Jesus looks at that book and imports it into the Newer Testament and looks at the Pharisees who would have known that book, some of them by memory, and he quotes from it and says to them, this is what the love of God looks like. He looks at those Pharisees, the mask wearers, and says, do you see everyone who's sitting here eating this meal with me? God loves them. God's reaching out to them. God's calling them to himself. And what God wants them to know is that he desperately, desperately loves them. But you see, the Pharisees missed the love of God. They had basic assumptions about how God would reject people wholesale. They had basic assumptions that if they lived perfectly to the letter of the law, then God would love them and he would reject everyone else. Because of this, they wore masks. They were always wearing masks, playing a role, playing a part, and never opening their hearts to God. But here we see in our text that Jesus is taking people who are convinced that they are unlovable, he's eating a meal with them, and he's calling them to himself. As we look at this story, and we think about being unlovable, how do we put our feet to our faith with this? It begins here. As you trust in the love of God, you're going to begin to be able to take off your mask. Because here's what I found. When I truly came to God and I began to experience his love for me through Christ, I suddenly began to view myself differently. It may sound weird, but I was beginning to learn how to love myself. 
Not in a narcissistic way, but the way in which God sees me and he loves me. The next way that we put feet to our faith is this. As you experience Christ's love, you don't need to perform for others' approval. Because some of us sitting here, we are spiritually and emotionally and physically exhausted. Because we are wearing a mask, we're playing a role, we're always performing, trying to win the approval for others. And yet, the last text we read, we find Jesus in, shall we say, Starbucks, eating with people who the mask wearers were completely convinced had been completely rejected and are outside of the love of God. And then the last one is this. As you follow Jesus, you can release these unmet expectations and you can truly trust God for who he really is. That's my prayer for all of us. Is that for those of us who are sitting here and we feel unlovable, we feel unlovable to people, but even more dangerous, we feel unlovable to God. What I'm going to ask that we would do is that right now I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. And as we stand together in God's presence, I'm going to encourage you, even challenge you, that you would come to God in this moment, that you would take a moment to close your eyes in God's presence. And if you have felt unlovable, if you have truly felt that, I want to encourage you to close your eyes. Stand into God's presence. And as Stephen and the worship team leads us in worship, I'd like for you to stand before God and allow your masks to fall to the floor that you would bring into God's presence those assumptions about God and if God really loved you, what would it look like? Take those unmet expectations and lay those on the floor and instead allow God's love to begin to work in you and through you. I have prayed and I believe that as we are now standing in God's presence, if you'll open up your heart to Jesus, that the love of Christ is going to meet us for those that truly need it, who would truly admit that you are poor in spirit, that Jesus is going to meet you.